I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Nature has its own computers. From worms to bacteria, these organisms use calculus and gradient descent to survive. Sabrina Rashid, PhD student in computational biology at Carnegie Mellon, explains how bacteria are using gradient descent. We also talked about what computational biology is and the problems that are being explored. Sabrina also talked about her work on RNA sequence analysis and the type of data that she works with. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Sabrina, PhD student in computational biology at Carnegie Mellon University, is joining us today. Sabrina, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Worms do calculus to find food. Bacteria use gradient descent to communicate and coordinate with each other. So it's not just humans and computers using these things that we normally learn about in school. How exactly are bacteria using gradient descent? So it's it's actually mind-boggling that we know that bacteria is a single-cell organism and we are like a complex human being with millions of cells, different tissues organized, doing different stuff, but bacteria is only a single cell. But they can do, uh, as a group or as a swarm, they can do very intelligent stuff. And so one of my PhD project was about uh, this bacteria swarm modeling. So we actually found out that bacteria can solve like the, this gradient descent problem dis in a distributed manner to find a common objective. So how they do do this is that when they're looking for food or they're searching for food, they sense a chemical gradient. So for example, they want to have like there is a sugar in the terrain and they want to go towards them. They will uh, sense the gradient of the sugar concentration to uh, find like which way to go. So that's kind of like a gradient uh, descent or in this case gradient ascent because you want to maximize the gradient. But when you are in a swarm, you can actually communicate with each other. The way that they do is that bacteria itself can also se uh, secrete some uh, signaling molecules, which can be detected by other bacteria around it. So if you can sense that, you can sense like where the other bacteria are, and that can uh, guide you like which is the best route to reach the food source. Like if there is any obstacles in the terrain, if you are, uh, instead of being an individual, if you are in a swarm, you can, uh, as a group, you can avoid that obstacle better and find a better route. So in that way, it's it's cool that bacteria can like uh, do this kind of complex co uh, computation or communication thing, but using very limited resources. Yes, and normally, well, where I saw gradient descent for the first time was when I was reading about machine learning, and this is one of the core components used for optimization. So it's pretty interesting yes, that yes, bacteria yes. use it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, actually many algorithms in machine learning have been inspired, uh, has, have been inspired by biology. So this is just one, uh, one instance uh, in the broad category of swarm intelligence. Like it's not just bacteria, but if you, if you see other, other, uh, other species in swarm, like bird, they form a formation and they fl uh, fly together. 
fish flocks and other things, ant colony, these are all like doing some kind of optimization or some kind of group task uh, that can actually inspire like swarm intelligence or distributed optimization techniques, these kind of things, yeah. And that, as I mentioned earlier, you're doing a PhD in computational biology. Yes. What is computational biology? So computational biology is relatively new, not like, uh, so Carnegie Mellon is one of the few universities that have like a dedicated computational biology department, which I think is very cool. So computational biology is, um, is the study of biological systems and um, beings uh, using computational methods. You, you want to use like different computational algorithms or data analysis or processing to learn more about the biological systems and find out relationships in between the biological systems with the environment and these kind of things, yes. Which is very similar to what we were talking about with the bacteria, how, how to visualize what they're doing. And what is the role of the computers in computational biology? Since it's computational biology, computers are definitely very important. But to elaborate more on that, so you wanna, when you want to analyze a system or something using a computational methods, often, uh, often the system will have very large complexity. For example, if you are, if you want to analyze um, a regulatory network with many nodes, like say for example a protein-protein interaction network, each protein is interacting with another one. It's a very it's a very uh, large network or graph structure. So sophisticated computational methods can be very useful to uh, in interpret those kind of systems. So that is one instance that you make uh, use of these computational methods. And computers, definitely you need, you, uh, there are a lot more room. You can do automated diagnosis, you can do drug design, and all of this definitely need a lot of um, computational power because obviously you cannot do it just by hand or something like that. Yeah. What have been other interesting problems that you know have been looked at in this space under the computational biology lens? So actually computational biology, like the topics of computational biology have been around for a long time. So things like uh, image, uh, biological image processing and developing uh, automated diagnosis based on medical images or doing some kind of feature ext extraction or pattern recognition on medical images. Those kind of things have been happening. But there are different parts of computational biology. There is systems biology. When you are looking at the biology at systems level, like how um, a system of genes or system of proteins, like they're interacting with each other in a disease pathway, which genes are actually responsible, which genes are driving which mutations and whatever it is. And also like uh, what are the proteins that are encoding for this disease uh, process. So that is one part. And then there's uh, genomics, which is also uh, like overlap with systems biology, but genomics, what I'm saying is that uh, so you ha you do this sequencing, and there's a lot of research to go, because the sequencing is done in small fragments of the sequence. But in the end, you have to assemble like um, all these small fragments in a continuous string. That is the DNA sequence. Mm -hmm. So to do it efficiently and uh, to do it fast, you need a lot of computational power. So that is uh, there is a lot of research that goes on in having a fa fast uh, sequence aligner, like so you have this fragment of sequence and 
coming up uh, an efficient algorithmic approach to generate the whole sequence. Mm-hmm. So there is one of that. And another is you have the sequence data already. What more information can you extract from that? So if you want to study some developmental process, say, for example, in mice, you want to study how this particular like epithelium cell are developing into different uh, lung cells, lung epitheliums different, differentiating into different cells. S- then you want to investigate what is the gene expression level at each stage. And if you, if you study that, you might be able to uh, decipher that branching or differentiation process. And if you can successfully do that, then you might be able to know like which genes or which genes are at which developmental point are actually driving this. So if we want to drug uh, development or something. So this kind of information is important. So that is another area that uh, computational biology is focusing on. And also there are many other like cancer genomics. You want to find which mutations are driving the cancers and how the gene. Uh, so in cancer sequence, uh, there is rearrangement in genomic sequences. So some computational techniques that can you can use to find those genomic rearrangement and there is it's a stack active area of research so it's still going on yeah mm-hmm. another direction is structural biology where you want to learn about the structure of the protein molecule which is which also has application in drug development and another one can be more of what we talked about earlier observing organism like ai was inspired on neural yeah. networks that is also like broadly i i would put it under systems biology because it's like you are studying a biological systems and trying to gain more computational insight from it so it's uh, more like algorithms in nature kind of thing Mm -hmm. that you are studying the nature and what type of algorithms the nature is actually implementing so you can learn about it and apply it in your computational task maybe the swarm intelligence might be useful in swarm robotics something like that so so that is another direction yeah you mentioned looking at mice and dna and proteins what is the type of biological data that that is available it depends on which problem you are trying to solve say for example if uh, in cancer genomics you can look at like dna sequencing data so when you sequence the dna you can uh, so I, as I mentioned earlier, there are like genomic rearrangement that is going on. So when you sequence the DNA, you can see how many copies of this gene have in cancer. Sometimes the copy, uh, a particular gene will have more copies than usual. So that is that can be one of the markers that you can like identify. Okay, this is th- something wrong is going on. Then there is uh, RNA sequencing, which is a relatively new technology. Previously, we used microarray to measure what is the expression level of the gene, like how much it is expressed, so that uh, in RNA sequencing, we do measure the level of RNA in the sample. So um, so that gives you an indication which genes are active or which genes are being expressed. Not all of the genes will be expressed at the same time. In some process, some a subset of the genes will be expressed so that it encodes for that process, but not all of them. So if you know which genes are expressed, then you can get a better insight about the process. And you can use that gene expression information to develop your algorithms and tools, and you can apply machine learnings through that 
uh, genomic expression data sets to find uh, more in- better insight about the data. What is the difference between RNA and DNA? The central dogma in genomics is that so we have this d- DNA which um, which encodes uh, which is our genetic code, right? Everyone has one and it's different. The way the gene controls every uh, the DNA controls everything is that the the coding part of the DNA which is called as gene it will uh, it will translate its message into an RNA like the sequence information it will be transcribed into a messenger RNA then the messenger RNA will move and uh, take it to a ribosome for protein translation so the messenger RNA then decodes that code to have the protein uh, being made, like which protein should I make, which amino acids should I use to make this protein. So that is the central dogma. From DNA, it it is uh, the, from DNA, it's transcribed to a messenger RNA, and then messenger RNA will be translated into a protein. Okay. So in RNA sequence, we are measuring the RNA levels, right? So the more RNA levels for a particular gene there is, the the gene is more expressed. So it gives kind of gives you an idea about which genes are being active and which genes are having higher expression levels. Yeah. So you did some work on RNA sequence analysis. Yeah, so another project in my PhD was um, involving time series uh, RNA data from single cells. So one of the key things is that uh, previously the sequencing was mostly based on bulk sequencing data, like you have a bunch of cells in a solution and then you do the your experiment and you get the sequencing data where do those cells come from you can grow it in a lab or you can it can come from a specific human sample so it depends on the depends on the experiment and the problem you are looking into what is different here is that this is not on bulk sequencing. This is on single cell sequencing, which is a recent advancement in the sequencing technology because it's difficult to do single cell sequencing because you have to sequence each cell different, uh, separately. And since each cell, it's like uh, the genomic component that you are working with to sequence is very little. So you have to have very high depth sequencing to detect that kind of like the, uh, very sensitive detection of the uh, expression level. So, um, but at the same time, when you are doing bulk sequencing, you are losing a lot of heterogeneity information because a lot of cells, they they might be different in their gene expression levels and other things, but since it's bulk sequencing, they're grouped together and we're getting one representative gene expression profile, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But... So we're losing the heterogeneity information from single cells. But when you can do single cell, then you can uh, you can catch the distinct uh, signatures of each single cells, how how they're uh, different from each other. And you'll f- fi- you'd think that it, it's coming from the same place. It should be similar, but there is a lot of difference in the in each of the single cell and and how the how the gene expression levels are changing. So what I do here is that. It's a time series RNA seq single cell data set, mm-hmm. so it sequences single cells. At um, the data is sequence single cells at different time points, and it's not like a lot of. Uh, it's not like hundreds of time points. It's very expensive to do f- that many, so it's usually three, four. Some have maybe six, seven, but it's 
just that. That's why it is called time series because it's sequenced at different time points. Say, for example, the beginning uh, time point might have like 40, 50 cells, second time point 60, 70, something like that. So each time point will have a bunch of single cells. What I'm uh, trying to do here is that even though the cells are sequenced from a single time point, not all the cells will represent the same developmental stage. Some cells might be more evolved or more developmentally further progressed, while the others do not. So if you use just the time point at, that they are sequenced as like a measure of how developed the cells are, it might be misleading because it's because um, uh, different cells progress at a different a different rate. So to know actually what is happening in this developmental process, you have to know uh, what is uh, what is the actual uh, state of each cell. So what I do here is that I try to decipher that developmental trajectory by assigning cells to a specific states, like which cells are in the beginning of the uh, differentiation and which cells are the kind of like have already differentiated and it's in the end cell type. So I kind of... Uh, use a probabilistic graphical modeling to find this kind of branching structure. Mm -hmm. And is the end goal of this, of using this data set of sequence, single cell sequence to, to understand diseases or something like this? So it, the end goal is to understand how the difference is. If we are studying a um, developmental process, like how so one stem cell is differentiating into different cell types. If we want to learn that, then we want to know like at which point it starts to branch into different categories. And which, if we know which cells are belonging to which state, then we know like how the gene expression levels are changing. Then we know like which genes to attack uh, or which genes to target when we want to alter some point, alter some path of that trajectory. So that is uh, that is for developmental. At the same with disease progression. Like if you if you can f get similar branching trajectory for a disease process, then you can also know like uh, at which dev uh, which state of the disease progression we should target, uh, and how we should target which genes we should target which mutations. So if we know that, then it enables us to manipulate that structure to do something about this uh, or alternate or what uh, do something about these processes. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about? core computational methods that can be used in this research? The model that I use is a hidden Markov model. So you have, uh, so it's a discrete state uh, based model. So you have, given that you have a discrete st uh, state model, I, const uh, I assign cells into each state based on maximal likelihood. And also, I used a Kalman filtering approach because my assumption is that between consecutive states, the gene expression value and their time value should not change that much, right? It because it, it's just the next developmental stage. So I use Kalman filter to restrict how much this gene expression value can change from one state to the other. Mm -hmm. So that's you can say it a hidden Markov model-based uh, branching model constrained by a Kalman filtering transition. Mm -hmm. And the Kalman filter is a way to predict the next state, right? A Kalman filter is a way to like, uh, so it's a probabilistic model. So Kalman filtering is allowing you to have like uh, some noisy fit in the data. Cause so biology is a very random stochastic process. If we are using a deterministing that it might not be 
the perfect representation of the underlying biology. So we we'll need to have this kind of stochastic nature, which is uh, introduced by this Kalman filter and the uh, hidden Markov model. Like each state will have a representative for gene expression, a Gaussian mean and a variance. So when you have the mean and variance at each state, you can use that to assign cells based on its own gene expression value to have like which state this cell is most likely to belong. Let's talk more about the data. And in, in other fields, for example, Instacart, this app that you can use to order groceries, they release a portion of their data set. Netflix, I think, had a Netflix challenge where they release data. Is it similar in the computational biology field or? Yes. In many journals, it's requirement that if you are reporting new data, you have to make it publicly available. So there is a gene expression omnibus, which uh, which holds like huge, huge number of data sets uh, if at, of gene expression levels. But sometimes it has a constraint because if you are doing a human su- a subject, then there is like the confidentiality issue and other things. So that might gives you like limited access or you need some permission to access the data, but that is like sequence data from humans. But uh, this gene expression levels data set or sequence data from animals and other things, these are open source and you can download and use it. Okay. So for human data, it's more controlled, more sensitive. For human data, I mean like expression level data sets is open because you cannot like get back to like the identity or uh, identity of the human subject. But Sometimes they read like uh, read data set, like what is the actual sequence. That kind of like might be restricted, yeah. Mm-hmm. And with the data sets that you work with, have you had to clean them or pre-process them and things like that? Uh, yes, in a sense, like you, you always have to pre-process the data set uh, based on like uh, which type of experiment the data is coming from. So uh, in our... For one example, in RNA-seq datasets, one of the computational challenges is that RNA-seq has a lot of dropouts. By dropout, I mean like a lot of the genes that are not highly expressed, like low, it's expressed, but it's lowly expressed, not like uh, corresponding, uh, there is not that much abundance of RNA. It, uh, it will re- give you a zero read for that particular gene in a particular cell. So that means uh, that's a dropout even, like the, we did not detect any signal from there. Uh, so, th- so that is one of the problems. Even though the cell is slowly expressed, we're not catching that. So there is like, you'll see a lot of zeros in that data file. So you have to account for that so that you just, uh, one thing is that you can discard uh, some genes that are not expressed in any of the cells or very few of the cells in the data sets. You can discard those. But another approach is to use, you can use a model to, uh, you can use a point model to model the dropout event. Like uh, for f- for the zero, uh, zero value, you can actually like probabilistically put a value there. So it's not just zero. Mm-hmm. So, so that you're, your like total average or something uh, it's uh, not average like it's it's kind of like a gaussian mixture model where where you have your expression values from all the other genes that you can detect and the point model from the dropouts 
so that it's uh, it doesn't bias your entire so all the dropouts doesn't bias your the average expression value of the cells yeah mm-hmm. computer science has many different branches for example cybersecurity artificial intelligence why did you choose the biology focus one of the nice things about this field is it's very interdisciplinary and and here like there's so it's a relatively new field and there is so many things that we still have to learn and i think it's uh and and i think those imp- uh, problems are very important for example i can say that in our genomic sequence there is only a small portion of th- of it actually codes for protein or its gene most part of it is non-coding region which we know very little about so there is a lot of unknowns in this area which i think is can benefit more and more research and computer computer science has a, a very uh computer science has advanced so much and has developed so many tools in other areas and i think it's about time that we use uh, these tools to learn more about this uh biological systems and probably it it will give rise to like new kind of biological insights so i think that's what made me interested and also like from undergraduate like it's it's sort of like gradual i okay. i started working on like uh medical imaging uh, my undergraduate is in electrical engineering but i started working on medical imaging i kind of interested in like more biological i wanted to work on genomics from my undergrad but I didn't find a professor that actually did this kind of research there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did like medical imaging things and for my masters I also did like computer aided diagnosis of cancer from Im- histopathology images. Mm-hmm. But then when I came to Carnegie Mellon I saw like it has like this huge I also when I applied I also wanted to do like medical imaging kind of things. But after coming here I saw like it has very rich uh, number of professors doing cool stuff with genomics and this other systems biology so i i just started to explore other professors that i i didn't know anything about genomics before when i talked to them and i kind of became interested and i thought yeah i long back i wanted to do this maybe it's time that i can uh, so image analysis was my comfort zone comfort zone but maybe i can just come into genomics now it's uh, it looks interested it's something that i have always wanted to do mhm mm-hmm. and also like you said it's not highly being explored or or it's not as common as image processing right and the impact yeah. it can have is huge yeah it's uh, like i would say a lo- lot of work is going on but i uh, like but i feel like more should be done and like yeah. there is a lot of room to improve on what is being done there are a lot of unknowns yes there is a lot of unknowns a lot of questions that i that we don't know and every year we learn something that what we thought that was happening before it's actually not something like that something new is coming up and new technologies and new types of datas are coming up mm-hmm. and so we need like so this to keep up with this data generation we need more cool computational stuff and there is a lot more room to research on that. Mm-hmm. And what are other challenges of doing research in this area? You have to know some basic uh about biology like 
you have to know like what is the nature of the data how is it coming from like because you are applying some machine learning techniques but you have to know like do those results like make sense or not so it's some basic biology so you have to be trained on that and at the same time we are working on like collaboration biologists with uh, like they have a very different way of looking at things and then the computer scientists so to merge like these two so that sometimes can be challenging and also like uh, I think the best kind of research in this area if you if you can do cool computational stuff but also can do like experimental uh, biology to verify your simulation or algorithmic results so sometimes not a lot of labs have that usually it's like collaboration between different groups but if we can join this together sometimes that can be a issue because it takes a lot of funding and also speaking the same language the, uh, the t same technical language from biologists and computer scientists that can be different the more we do collaborative research the more we'll uh, do better at this yeah well, Sabrina, thank you for coming on the show. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you.